Good morning and thank you. This morning I'd invite you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 24, verses 7 through 10. And while you're turning there, um, this is the conclusion of our Reformation series where we're talking about big points of the Reformation like Christ alone, uh, grace alone, faith alone. And so we reached the end and what some people call the summary of these alones, God's glory alone. And so as we turn here, I may be flipping, flipping us back and forth in our Bibles to a few different places today. Um, I read that, as one commentator says, to describe God's glory is an, is an attempt to put into words what cannot be put into words. You're trying to say what God is like in his unveiled magnificence and excellence. And there's a certain amount of mystery to that that we just can't grasp. And so let's keep that in mind as we read Psalm 24, verses 7 through 10. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. The word of God for the people of God. Be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are the king of all glory. Lord, we want to revel in that truth this morning. We want to soak our hearts in it. And we want to delight in who you are. To delight in your glory. And to enjoy you in your presence. And so, Holy Spirit, will you come into this place, bless us with the presence of our God, and lead us to our King, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. When I was barely in high school, I went to a, a weekend retreat with an organization called Fellowship of Christian Athletes. So they put me in this group with a bunch of athletes who I didn't know. I'd never met any of them. And I was super, super shy back then. And so I did not know what to do with myself. And I was just like, mm -hmm, don't talk, sit there. I'm uncomfortable. And there I was all weekend. But at the same time, it was an amazing weekend because these people who didn't know each other were worshiping God and putting their arms around each other and saying, we want to be Christians and hearing God's word taught and preached to us. And, you know, maybe, maybe we would say, oh, it's too emotional, it was too charismatic, and maybe it was, but for my little ninth grade heart, it was a picture of how glorious God is. And I've always hold on to that, held on to that. And so when we left, everybody's walking out, and I overheard this kid, and he's saying, you could lock me away in the woods alone for the rest of my life. But if I had God, I know I would be happy. And I heard that, and I thought, you know, we're all a bunch of baby Christians here. Okay, maybe he doesn't have a robust doctrine of the church, and we're never alone, 
But Psalm 16 says, in his presence, in God's presence, there is fullness of joy. In his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. To be in God's presence, to experience this glory, is the only, only all-satisfying reality in the universe. And so God's word for you this morning has one purpose, one goal, to lead you into delighting in God's glory. To know that all-satisfying reality that can only be found in God and God alone. Or as we're fond of saying, to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And so we start with point one. You are created for God's glory. And so we'll go back to the very beginning. We'll flip over to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And as you turn there, be reminded, God says in Isaiah, that he formed and he made you for his glory. And the psalmist says that heaven and earth declare the glory of God. And so in that context, we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The goal of creation is God's glory. At the pinnacle of this creation, he creates man and woman. And then he says, this man and woman are going to be made in my image. And so man and woman, us, we are made to be a mirror reflecting the image of the king of glory. And how do you do that? Well, in the very beginning, God tells Adam and Eve in verse 28, he tells us, have dominion over the earth, subdue the earth, go out, bring it all to glorify God. God is like the great artist creating the world. He's creating it, and he creates it so that it grows, it develops, it expands, and he says, go out and bring all of the earth to glorify our God. And as a member of mankind, you are a part of this Adam and Eve. You reflect that image. God works through you to develop, the, to, to grow the earth into bringing him glory. And so we go out in every area of life and we bring glory to God at our schools, at our churches, in our businesses, in our homes, with our friends, with our families, and everything that we do. We are, John Calvin says, there's no spot in the universe where there's not a spark of God's glory. And so in our lives, we go out and we fan those sparks into flame, the beautiful flame of the glory of God all over the earth. And it's in that we find what we're created to do. To be a mirror reflecting the glory of the king of glory. 
but we make the same mistake that Adam and Eve made so many years ago. Brother Nathan told us about this the other week. In Genesis 3, the serpent comes to Eve and he says, did God really tell you not to eat of that fruit? Did he really mean that? Maybe he's just holding you back. Satan says, if you reject God, you can be the image. You can reflect yourself. You can be the king. You can make your own kingdom. And we believe it. Just like Eve, we believe it. We live selfishly. We turn our back on our God. We turn our backs on our neighbors. We seek our own good, our own fame, to make our own name great, to be the most popular, to be the richest, the best for ourselves. And so point number two, you fall short of God's glory. Many of you may know this verse, but we'll flip over to Romans 3.23. And in this verse, Romans 3.23, we read that, that sin is rejecting the glory of God. And so Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, we hear falling short and we think of well, you missed the mark. You didn't make it. But if you fall short of something, you also lack something. Think about it like this. You're playing basketball. The clock is winding down. You're down by two. You pump fake. You're going to shoot a three. So you go up to take your shot, to shoot the three-pointer, to win the game. You know, you're probably a little cocky, so you throw up the threes and back away. And then it falls short, and it's an air ball. And so, yeah, it fell short of the basket. But you also lost something that you could have had. You could have won the game. You could have had the glory of God. You could have had the one thing that you need. You could have had the very thing you were created to do to glorify the king of glory. But instead of having that glory, Romans 1.23 says that you exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. You exchange God's glory for things that are never going to be enough. And so let's ask ourselves, what do I truly desire? What do I love? What makes me say, this is living, this is it? Because it's in those things that tell us what we're really living for. And if those things that we truly desire don't have anything to do with the king of glory, then you've made the suicidal exchange. You've exchanged something of infinite value and beauty, the one thing you were created to do, and instead you run after some fleeting substitute, some inferior substitute. And we wonder why we feel so lost and so purposeless. That's why we're looking to things that will never be enough because they aren't our God. And so Jeremiah 2, God says, be appalled. Be desolate. Despair that God's people make this exchange. That they choose things that aren't God, that are inferior and substitute God with them. 
this weekend, or this past weekend, Larry and I went to Bon Clarkin and worked a youth retreat, and the speaker, he said something interesting. He said, do you know how to kill an Arctic wolf? And we're like, no, probably not. <laughs> he said, all you need to kill an Arctic wolf is this, a decent-sized stick, a sharp blade, and a small dead animal. He said, here's what you do. You take the stick, you tie the blade to the end of it. You tie the blade to the end of it, then you take your small animal, and you take some blood from that animal, and you put it on the, on the blade. And then you take it out into the freezing snow and let it freeze. And you bring it back, and you put more blood on it, and you let it freeze. You bring it back, and you put more blood on it, and you let it freeze. Well, then you take your big stick, you put it in the ground, and you go to bed. You just go to sleep. Because what's going to happen in the middle of the night? That wolf's going to be hungry. And then he's going to smell that blood. And then he's going to come out, and he's going to start licking that blood. And then he's loving it, and it tastes good, and he wants more and more. And then the more he licks, the warmer the blood gets. And he licks, and he licks, and he's bleeding. And now he's licking his own blood. And he's literally killing himself. But the hunger for more keeps leading him back to lick and to lick and to lick. Satan has us out here feasting on our sins and it's killing us. Be appalled. Be desolate. Despair. Our sins. Our selfishness. Satan comes to you and he says, God is the selfish one. He just wants all the glory. He just wants to hold you back. He wants to keep you from living the good life. You can't really trust your God. You can only trust yourself. John 8, Satan is a murderer and a liar. He wants us out there licking at our sins, thinking that they're going to make us happy, and they never will. A murderer and a liar. In reality, you've made the suicidal exchange. You've turned your back on the one thing that you need. Redemption. And so point three you are redeemed for God's glory. Here we're going to go to the book of Ephesians in chapter 1. I invite you to turn to Ephesians in chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 11 through 14 to give us an idea of this redemption that we need and that Christ offers. And so in verse 11 of Ephesians 1, In him... We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, the great lie that the father of lies, Satan, tells us is that God is selfish for wanting to be glorified. But that is utterly impossible. The king of glory is our one God in three persons, father, son, and spirit. 
And there's love for the, by the Father to the Son, and the Son to the Father, and the Father to the Spirit, and the Spirit to the Son. This mutual love and this mutual glorifying between the Trinity. And there's nothing selfish about the triune love and glory of God. It is perfect love, perfect harmony, perfect peace, perfect everything within these relations. And so... Let's ask this question. What would God give us that would best portray his love and show his glory? What would God give us that would best portray his love and show his glory? We talk about this in youth group all the time. We say, if you really, truly love someone, then you want what's best for them. The most loving thing that God could do would be to give us the most glorious thing to ever exist. Himself. He is the most glorious thing to ever exist. And that's exactly what he does. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh to become one of us. To do what we could not do. John 17, 4, Jesus says to the Father, I have glorified you in my time here on earth. The things that we don't do, that we fall short of, that we make the suicidal exchange and chase after our own glory. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, being God himself, sought the glory of the Father on our behalf. He literally gave himself for his people. He died the death that you should have died to pay the price for your sins. He suffered the wrath of God that you should have suffered, that I should have suffered. He did the work. He did it on our behalf for us. And so Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's the work of Father, Son, and Spirit who bring about this redemption. And if our salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone, and if our salvation is by grace and grace alone, and if you're saved only by resting and receiving him through faith alone, then just like verses 12 and 14 of Ephesians 1 tell you, your salvation can only be to the praise of his glory and his glory alone. And so God has demonstrated his glory in giving us himself. And we can take that and say, God's glory is our highest good. The best thing that we could ever have is God's glory because it's shown in himself. And that is something to delight in. God is glorified in saving his chosen people. When you turn to Christ, you rest in him. You're united to Christ. He gives you the gift of his glory himself, union with him and so God's glory is the one place that you find what you truly need, redemption. And that is to be delighted in, to be reveled in. And yet the crazy thing is, if we stop there, we're still missing something. We still haven't even got it all yet. And so point number four, you are one day consummated into God's everlasting glory. 
You are one day consummated into God's everlasting glory. I want us to look back again at these verses in Ephesians 1 and look at 13, verse 13 and verse 14 in particular. It says in verse 13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul is saying, with all that we have to enjoy, to delight in right now when we're in Christ, it's still not the culmination of all that God is predestined to do for his people. You see, when you, when you come to Christ, you're given the promised Holy Spirit, and the Spirit leads you in God-glorifying ways of living in every area of life. But the Spirit, he's the guarantee. He's just the down payment. Your redemption right now is just the down payment of promises that God makes that say something even greater is coming. It's just the down payment. And one day, in the coming ages, Paul says, in the coming ages, you'll acquire possession of your entire inheritance. And what is this entire inheritance given to you by your God, the King of glory? Ephesians 2 Paul tells us right away, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. The, the entire inheritance is to be with Christ in the coming ages where God is going to show you the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ. The coming ages, when we receive a second resurrected body, like Christ's resurrected body. And in this time, God's going to show us something that's immeasurable. When Jesus comes back, we're approaching the season of Advent, looking forward to when Jesus comes back. The realities of this second coming of Jesus is that when you're in Christ, you receive God's glory. You receive the immeasurable, ever-flowing tsunami of grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. I love this. Think about it. God, Father, Son, and Spirit, is infinite, always and forever. His glory and his majesty goes and goes and goes. He is the king of glory. But you and I, we're finite creatures. We've been created. We don't go and go and go forever and ever and ever. We had a beginning. We can never know everything. We are infinite. We can never fully grasp what is infinite. And so when we're united to Christ now, we experience this redemption yet in a fallen world, in a sinful world, and we still see redemption, and it's so beautiful, and yet it's just a hazy, blurry picture of what is the true reality. Because one day when Jesus comes back, this world will be renewed and perfected. There will be a new earth and a new heavens. And the new heavens come down to the earth. And we dwell with God in the flesh without sin. And so God, being infinite, goes on and on. And we have eternity to explore the immeasurable riches of God's grace. 
in C.S. Lewis's book, The Last Battle. So it's the last book of the Chronicle of Narnia series, and he's written, what is it, like seven books, all these books, and they finally get to the end. They've been brought to the new Narnia. Everything good from the old, old Narnia is in the new Narnia, except it's better. And then Lewis ends it all with this. Listen to this carefully. He says, but for them, their time in the new Narnia, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. It was just the down payment. It was just the beginning. Lewis goes on, now at last, they were at the real beginning. Chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and which every chapter is better than the one before. Brothers and sisters, we will go further up and further in into God's immeasurable glory and love and kindness forever. John Piper puts it this way, it will take an infinite number of ages for God to be done glorifying the wealth of his grace to us. He will never be done. We can never know all of his glory. And so it's going to take eternity of growing closer and closer and experiencing more and more and more. And he'll never be done. The new heavens and the new earth will be a never-ending, ever-increasing discovery of more and more of God's glory. With greater and ever greater joy and delight in him. Now that's something to revel in. That's God's glory. So lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. Oh, my friends, do you know this king of glory? Do you know the king of glory who created you? Do you know the king of glory who you fall away from in your sin? Do you know the king of glory who gave himself to redeem you? And do you know the king of glory who will show you the immeasurable riches of his grace forever? Come to Jesus today. Give him your life and your all. He alone is worthy of the kingdom and the power and the glory. God's glory, which is known in Jesus Christ, is the only, only thing that can satisfy that big black hole in your heart. Only the infinite glory of God found in Jesus Christ can fill that hole. You could lock me away in the woods alone for the rest of my life, but if I had God, I know I would be happy. Brothers and sisters, may that be you and may that be me. Delighting in the glory of God, enjoying his glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, our Lord, you alone are the king of glory. You are worthy to be praised. We delight and we revel in the riches of your glory that are known in Jesus Christ. 
We pray that you would make them so real to us that we could never imagine making that exchange of something that is fleeting for something as beautiful and wonderful as you. Would you change our hearts, Lord? Bring us away from our selfishness and our sin and bring us into your glory in Christ for your glory and we will ever praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.